Now, delighted uh, tonight to have our sister Sandra Garrett with us. We've been delighted when they come as a family to us and uh, received into membership. And I felt it would be appropriate if we asked our sister to come and share a wee word of personal testimony to us. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. It's always a great privilege to come and give testimony of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. And I have to say I'm thrilled tonight that um, our minister picked that particular hymn. Um, I love to sing. I'm not the best of singers, but I love to sing and to praise the Lord. And that particular hymn has been one that um, has always meant a lot to me down over the years. Um, just even as we remember that we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love to me. Just want to uh, share some verses with you out of Psalm 103. And there we read, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is, in, is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thine diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. I was born into a Protestant family, the eldest of three children. My parents were not saved, um, but just like any other child, it didn't take long. Um, I didn't have to be taught how to sin, and all too soon I was saying and doing things that I ought not to have done. But Romans 3.23 reminds us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So even little children, um, we sin against our Heavenly Father. But around the age of five years, uh, my family moved um, home from the Ballyclockin area out to the Lisburn Road between Saintfield and the Temple. And very soon afterwards, our dear neighbours invited me to go along to a Sunday school at Boardmills Presbyterian Church. And these dear people were saved people and I also then was invited to go along to the Good News Club. Um, was held just in the wee mission hall at the temple there. It's no longer there, but... Um, and then I also attended the Girls' Brigade and a Christian Endeavour meeting on a Friday night. So we had busy weeks. We were out. Girls' Brigade on a Monday night, Good News Club on a Wednesday night, Christian Endeavour meeting on a Friday night, and then Sunday School and Church on the Sunday. Um, and I have to say, I thank the Lord um, for uh, these faithful Christian neighbours, Eric and Iris Conroy, um, for taking myself and my siblings along to these meetings. Um, and they also worked in, in the mission um, up at the temple and were very faithful to us in teaching the Word of God, um, along with another little um, older lady, Mrs. Brown. And I recall one of the first uh, scripture verses that I learned uh, was John 3 and 16, and it's one that's uh, very well known and uh, 
learnt by a lot of boys and girls, and it simply says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, it's a verse that we learn and we can say off so quickly without even sometimes considering just how much the Lord does love us. And I wonder, have you considered how much God loves you tonight? I heard many times as a child and as a young person that I was a sinner and that I needed to repent, to turn away from my sins and be saved. And I knew that the only way that I could be saved was through the person and the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in my place and in my stead. However, as a child, I never thought very much about it and just continued week by week going to the meetings without really considering what it was that the Lord was trying to say to me. My dad, who was from a very traditional Church of Ireland background, he wasn't a Christian, and yet um, he held the late Dr. Paisley in very high regard, and very often he would have taken us along to open-air meetings in the area. Um, and I remember on one occasion going to a tent mission just up at the temple there between Seinfeld and Lisburn, um, and the Reverend McRae, he was there uh, leading the singing. And of course, as I love to sing, I really enjoyed all the hymns and the choruses that they were singing that night. But you know, later on in the meeting, um, I couldn't wait to get out because they sang um, the hymn, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I knew the Lord really challenged my heart that night because I knew that if I wasn't saved, I wouldn't be in heaven. My name wouldn't be in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I just couldn't wait to get out of that meeting. The tears were tripping me. I could hardly see to make my way out of the tent. But I did. I left once again rejecting God's offer of mercy. I know I'm so unworthy of the love and the goodness and the mercy of the Lord, but I praise him for loving me and for being merciful to me. When I was about eight or nine, uh, my dad decided that we as a family should start going to church. And so we started to attend the Church of Ireland in Saintfield. And although we'd come away from the Sunday school at Board Mills, we still continued on at the Good News Club and the Girls' Brigade and the WCE meetings on a Friday night. And I have to say, I'm very thankful uh, in those early days. As a child, you don't really fully appreciate um, just what it means for people to take that time um, each week to bring the precious word of God to you. But as you get older and you look back and you can trace the hand of God in your life, it makes you truly thankful for those who did take of their time um, to teach us. When I was about 13 years of age, my dad took seriously ill and spent some time in the intensive care unit in the Royal Victoria Hospital. Um, his condition didn't improve, and soon my mum was faced with the decision of having to turn off the life support. Um, this was a very difficult decision, and one that she couldn't take immediately. And whenever she came home, and she told me about it, she didn't mention it to my younger brother and sister. Um, but you know, it really hit me that if my dad were to die in that hospital, that he would go to hell because he wasn't saved. And I remember just kneeling down at my bedside and asking the Lord to save my daddy and to save me too. 
Sometime later, I don't recall just the time scale, um, but Dad then started responding to treatment and eventually he was well enough to come home. Amen. That time, Dad wasn't well enough uh, to resume full-time work and so my mum, she went out and took on some cleaning jobs uh, just to support the family and uh, to keep food on the table. And um, I also then started a wee Saturday job in the St. Field Griddle Bakery. And my boss there, Mr. Austin Fitzsimons, I was a dear Christian man, and it was another uh, good influence on my life. And you know, I always remember he would often be heard singing down at the back of the bakery, and one hymn that he would sing particularly is, O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the works thy hands hath made. Um, we moved again into St. Field Town itself. Uh, my brother and sister, they started to attend the local Presbyterian church and uh, my brother and sister both got saved. Um, and from time to time, I still continued on going to the Church of Ireland, although I had no real interest or desire to be there because I found it very formal and very full of ritual. Um, but during my late teens, I started to really rebel and uh, stray into the things of the world and um, I was soon caught up in drinking and smoking, going to pubs and clubs and just doing what I wanted to do and living my life the way I wanted to um, and not considering um, the grief and the sorrow I put my dear parents through or not even considering the Lord and how I was grieving him. Well, one night in particular, um, I remember a crowd of us coming out of a club and I'm telling you this not to promote sin, but rather to highlight God's mercy to me. Uh, we'd come out of the club and we went to a friend's house um, to consume more alcohol. And my friend's older brother and his mates were in the house as well. And they were up at one end of the room, we were at the other. And uh, these older group of folk, they started to light up a joint and to share around and then it was eventually passed down to us where we were sitting. I knew something within me just said that I had to get out of that place. And I was conscious of my friends and thought I'm gonna look a real idiot here if I get up and go out. But you know, there was just some, something in me that night said you have to get out of here. And I did. And today, I can thank the Lord for his mercy and preserving, his preserving hand upon my life you know, my life could so very easily have taken a very, very different path that night. Young person, older person, don't get caught up in the devices of Satan. It has often been said that sin will take you further than you ever want to go. And I would encourage you tonight, if you're not saved, that you'll seek the Lord, because he's the one who can help you, and he's the one that can save you. My sister, it seemed to me, was always preaching at me, telling me that I needed to get my life sorted out, that I needed to get saved and to get right with the Lord. And I still remember too much, uh, much to my shame saying to her, leave me alone, because you're only a Bible basher. I know that brings much shame to me even now, but I'm truly thankful that she continued to pray for me. She continued to speak to me, as did others. and. I just encourage you, dear Christians, to keep on praying. Pray for your loved ones, pray for your work colleagues, for your neighbours, for those who you come into contact with, because prayer changes things. 
After a time, I tidied up my life and things were going well. I only took a drink every now and again and thought, well, things are good. I have a good job, I'm doing well, but I still wasn't saved. Um, I met my husband, uh, Robert, through our affiliation with flute bands. Robert, he was a Christian and attended Sandown Free Presbyterian Church. And very soon I had started attending the evening services and it was there through the preaching of God's precious word by the Reverend David McElveen that God really started to work in my heart and in my life. And on the 22nd of June, 1994, uh, Robert and I, we had been out and we were driving home and I started to become very quiet in the car and God was really starting to deal with me and he was speaking to my heart and uh, I just knew that night that I had to get right with the Lord. And so sitting in the car, and the tears streaming down my face, I prayed to the Lord to forgive me. I asked him to save me and to come into my heart. And he did. I knew that immediate joy of sins forgiven. The burden was lifted. I was truly saved and ready to go to heaven to meet my Savior. I knew I was so amazingly happy. Whenever the Lord comes into your life, he gives you a joy unspeakable. I went in, that home, or went in home that night wanting to tell my family, but they were all asleep, and I could hardly contain myself until morning because I wanted to tell them about what the Lord had done for me. Uh, next morning, I told my brother and sister, and of course they were thrilled, and my dad just said, well, we'll see. I went into work, and I was determined that I was going to tell everybody straight away about what the Lord had done and that I had got saved and that I would no longer be going along to the pub on a Friday at lunchtime for lunch. I would no longer be going out to the places that we would have frequented. And after some months, a colleague turned around and said, do you know, I never thought you'd keep it. And you know, she was right, because I couldn't keep my salvation. But I thank the Lord that it's he that does the keeping. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, we read that, were kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Robert and I were married in 1995 and I have been richly blessed of the Lord over the years. Our son Stephen was born in 1997, the first grandson for my mum and dad, and our daughter Ruth was born in 2001, the only granddaughter for my mum. My dad's health had not been great over the years from his first spell in hospital. Um, and over the years, he spent many times in intensive care and on the ventilators and life support. But late in 2000, Dad's breathing became very laboured. And as I had done on many occasions in the past, I drove him over to the Ulster Hospital. And those journeys were always pretty scary because you never really knew, were you going to make the hospital in time? Was Dad going to be okay? But we got to the hospital that morning and we left the house about 5 a.m. and Dad was taken in and admitted to the ward. Um, and later that afternoon, after spending most of the day in the hospital, um, I took Mum home um, just so that she could have a little rest. And um, not long after that, uh, we got a phone call to say that uh, Dad had been taken into ICU and was once again on life support. Uh, this was difficult news, but um, we were used to it, I suppose, in a sense. 
Um, but a couple of days later, um, we were called to say to get the family together um, and we were told to prepare for the worst. Dad was very ill and not responding to treatment. I remember sitting in the wee family room in the hospital and uh, we were very thankful at that time for uh, the prayerful support of our church and for the Reverend McElveen. And he came along and, and ministered to us um, from God's word. But each of us as a family member, we were allowed a short time to go in and be at dad's bedside. And it's, it's always very daunting when you go to a bedside and see all the different machines and wires and tubes, etc. Um, but I remember praying at dad's bedside for the Lord just to bring him back because he wasn't saved. And um, I wanted dad to come back just even for a short time uh, to be saved. We spent much time in prayer. There were many tears, but eventually dad did start to rally and was eventually moved back onto the ward. He was extremely weak and uh, because of his uh, imbalance and the blood gases and the, the medicines that he was on, um, he suffered quite a severe form of paranoia, which um, he had known in the past um, during these times of treatment. and. This caused him uh, to believe that the IRA were there to get him. Um, my dad was a former B-Special and UDR soldier, and um, he had that fear, even in the hospital ward, that the IRA were coming to get him. And this was a difficult thing for us to understand and to watch. Um, but after a lot of days, dad um, had given us a wee call asking for the Reverend McElveen to come and see him in the hospital. And so uh, the Reverend McElveen went along and he had the great joy of leading my dad to the Lord. And you know, that was truly wonderful news for us as a family. And another wonderful answer to prayer. And so on Christmas Eve, dad, whilst he was still weak and suffering much from the side effects of the medication, was allowed to come home. Christmas was a very quiet occasion, but a very happy one. Um, on Monday the 2nd of January 2001, Mum rang me. I was getting ready to go out to work, getting Stephen ready because he was going up to stay with Mum. And Mum gave me a wee call about 7 o'clock to say that Dad was missing from the house. Um, now keeping in mind that Dad was very weak, he could hardly climb the stairs by himself. Um, it had been snowing, was very cold. Um, so I rushed up the road. And whenever I arrived, my brother met me at the door and he said, Sandra, there's no, no easy way of telling you this, but Dad's dead. The police were inside with Mum, uh, just speaking to her about uh, the tragic circumstances. Dad's death by suicide brought such great grief and sorrow to my dear Mum and to the entire family. The following days, weeks and months were very, very difficult. There were so many unanswered questions. And yet through it all, there was that joy and comfort in knowing that dad was saved and in the very presence of his savior. I remember on the morning of dad's funeral, asking God to give me a verse of scripture to assure me that dad was in heaven. And I had been reading through the book of Isaiah at that time, and I think it was due to read chapter 58. But just as I opened my Bible, 
Uh, the pages opened at chapter 61, and verse 10 just really stood out in a very particular way. And it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a family, we really proved the Lord and knew his help and comfort. In April of 2001, my mum rang looking for the telephone number of the Reverend McElveen. She said she needed to speak to him urgently. And I know that mum had come through a very particular difficult time and was finding things very, very difficult. Um, but the Reverend McElveen went that day to mum's home and spent time with her and had that wonderful privilege and joy of leading my mum to the Lord. I knew oft times uh, we don't understand the difficulties that come our way. But it's wonderful whenever the Lord takes those difficulties and uses them to his honour and his glory. In July of that year, our daughter Ruth was born. And despite it having been a difficult year, she brought much joy and blessing to us. We had another little baby in the family and a little one for, for everyone to love. Robert and I greatly rejoiced in the Lord as our children, Stephen and Ruth, got saved. And what a special privilege it was as parents to lead them to Christ and to watch them, to watch them grow as young Christians. I became involved in the children's work at Sandown Free Presbyterian Church over a period of about 18 years. I taught in Sunday school, the children's meeting, and I also helped at the summer camps. And it was just a real privilege to serve the Lord amongst the boys and girls. And it really blessed me and helped me and strengthened me. Um, and it brings such a joy to your heart uh, when a little child is saved and you see them living their lives close to the Lord. Um, I have many enjoyed many uh, mountaintop blessings from the Lord, but I've also learned um, so much through the valley experiences. I remember um, on one occasion I was preparing uh, to teach the Bible lesson in our children's meeting, and I was due to do this in February time, and I was seeking the Lord just before Christmas, just as a little direction as to what I ought to teach. And the Lord kept bringing before me um, the lesson about the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible tells us about the rich man going to hell. And I'm saying, Lord, how can I possibly teach this to little children? How do I put it into words that they'll understand? And I kept looking at other, other lessons, other stories, and saying, well, Lord, could I not teach this? But the Lord kept bringing me back to this particular lesson. And so I went and taught that lesson to the boys and girls that night and came home. And the next day, I got the message to say that one of the young lads had went home that night and asked his mum about getting saved. Amen. And he got saved that night. So I'm thankful for the Lord just persisting with us and guiding and directing us. Uh, in the year 2009, on Monday the 13th of July, it was our daughter Ruth's eighth birthday. And we were up early so that Ruth could open her presents. And then uh, we prepared our picnic 
and made our way up to Cahard Orange Hall to meet the band because we were going to the 12th in Kelly Lay. I remember it was a beautiful sunny morning and everyone was in fine fettle. Um, and we had happy birthday banners to stick up on the bus and birthday balloons and uh, we arrived in Kelly Lay and were soon on parade and uh, when we reached the field we enjoyed our picnic and a birthday cake and um, we went then to listen to the message from the platform and um, that particular year the minister spoke on revival as it was the 150th anniversary of the 1859 revival. Um, it was soon time for the band to form up again for the return journey and the return march. And we'd only marched a short distance out of the field and down the road uh, whenever the lodge car lost control and came down through the ranks of the band. And there were two people under the car, a young lad who thankfully was not seriously injured um, and another young woman who sustained very severe head injuries as well as injuries to her body. That day was a very devastating scene as we uh, remained there to tend to the injured and to help until the emergency services arrived. Um, Debbie's dear dad arrived in the scene and it was just such a difficult thing and yet we're thankful to the Lord that we can pray to him at any time and in any situation and how he brings even verses of scripture to mind to use even in situations like that. Our dear friend Debbie was airlifted to hospital and very soon afterwards uh, was pronounced dead. She was only 30 years of age and ushered out into God's eternity. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And you know, we went out that morning not ever thinking that that or anything like it was going to happen. Arriving home, we were just numb. We went in with our children and Ruth's birthday presents. The wrapping paper cards were just strewn across the living room floor just as they'd been left that morning. We were humbly thankful for God's providence and his grace to us as a family. But our hearts were heavy for those whose family was changed forever. Dear sinner, I would say lovingly to your soul tonight, don't leave off getting right with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 it says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Following this, I went through a period of days that were very dark, suffering from post-traumatic stress and depression. Some days proved very difficult, but Jesus was always there. Some days I found it hard to pray, to read the scriptures, and tears were never far from falling. God doesn't always promise a life of ease and without trouble, but he does promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. I was very thankful for the prayers of God's people at that time. And even though friends didn't really understand what, was, what I was going through, they were there in a prayerful, supporting manner. We had many opportunities to uh, speak and witness to bandsmen and women about the country and to witness to them about their need of the Saviour. 
And we're glad that God uses our trials to strengthen us for his service. And I would encourage you, dear friend in Christ tonight, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, he loves you and he will be your strength now and in the days ahead. The band for some years laid flowers in Debbie's grave each 12th morning. And I remember one year our brother George Anderson uh, bringing a short message after reading a verse from the Songs of Solomon. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. And he simply pointed everyone who was there to the Christ of Calvary. And dear friends, that's what we would even do with you tonight. Point you to the Christ of Calvary. Because Calvary covers it all. Just about a year ago or so, we were led as a family to come here to Carriedoff Free Presbyterian Church. And it has been a real blessing and a privilege to serve the Lord here. And I do thank those who have prayed for our son Stephen. Stephen uh, is over on the mainland. He's been there for about four and a half years now, studying at university. But he's gotten away from the Lord. He's backslidden. And, you know, it breaks our hearts. When you see a young lad who once walked well with the Saviour, now walking far off from the Lord. And maybe you're here tonight and you've wandered from the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know him. I just simply say, the Lord is waiting to receive you. He's uh, willing to give you the gift of eternal life. I'm just going to close with the verse out of Romans 10 and 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you. And we do want to thank our sister Sandra for sharing her testimony and something about her life experiences as she's walked with the Lord. Now we've heard from our sister Sandra. We're going to ask our brother Robert and he's going to come now and read to us from the scriptures. Thank you, Robert. Well, our reading tonight is taken uh, from the New Testament, uh, from the book of Luke, uh, chapter 15. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And we're taking our reading from the verse 11, and reading down to the end of verse 24. And these are the words of the Saviour himself. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, 
and I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my Father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and went to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And we're ending the reading there at the verse 24. We know that the Lord will add his own blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. And we do thank our brother Robert for coming and reading to us from the scriptures. We're going to just bow in a wee word of prayer. And then for the remaining time, I was told off this morning for mentioning time. We're just uh, going to wait on the Lord. That's a wee prayer together. Lord, we want to thank thee for what our ears have heard, even regarding the testimony of her sister Sandra. Lord, we thank thee for the wonder working of thy grace and saving her and saving her late dad and saving her mum, saving other members of the family. Lord, we're so thankful for the way that thou was helped and undertaken. And Lord, we pray that what you've done for this family, we believe that thou can do for many other families. And we ask thee in Jesus' name, even in the time that is left now tonight, for those that are here that will speak with that voice that wakes the dead, you'll save any amongst us yet without Christ. Give them the grace, the enablement to come and put their faith and trust in him. We ask you, Lord, for those that listen on the internet, use thy word at this time. And, O oh God, speak to many and save many precious souls. To this end, we plead the blood and we plead the help of the Lord and glorify thyself this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, my text tonight is taken from Luke 15, verse 20, and my theme this evening is the running of the Father. Luke 15 and 20 has three words that I want us to focus on. The Father ran. Now, in Luke 15, the Lord Jesus told three parables back to back on lost things. The parable of the lost sheep, Luke 15, verse 4 to 7. Parable of the lost coin, 15, verses 8 to 10. And the parable of the lost son, the longest of the parables, Luke 15, 11, right through to 32. Now, while each parable was about a lost thing, these parables are, in reality, three stories about the Father's great love for poor, lost, fallen sinners on the road to hell. In Luke 15, we read, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. 
And at the sight of this fact and knowledge of it, the Pharisees and scribes, well, they criticized and condemned Christ for receiving such sinners. Dr. Luke records for us the words in Luke 15 and 2, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Here's what they were thinking. Here's what they were saying. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. In other words, this man welcomes sinners. He embraces them. He's entrusting himself to them. And yet they're so unworthy and so undeserving. So the Lord Jesus told these three parables to remind and teach the scribes and the Pharisees about God the Father's great love for sinners who are lost. When we read the story of the prodigal, I want you to think of the prodigal in the far country. And I can see a house there in Judah. I think of the porch, and there stands an old man looking every day out over the horizon. Think of him morning, noon, and evening. He's scandering the eastern horizon. Who's he looking for? What's he looking for? He's looking for a sign that his wayward son is returning. You'll recall the story how that the prodigal son, we thought last week of the desires that mastered him. He heard of the far country. He heard about things there that charmed and pleased him. His desires, of course, were strong. He believed that his happiness lay outside the family home. These were selfish desires. Remember he said to his father, give me. That summed up the way that he wanted to live. Uh, me was at the center of his thinking. He had a blatant disrespect for his father and brother. He's full of me. Give me. I told you last week this was a cruel and callous demand. He was really literally wishing that his father were dead. This was a stubborn desire for he was not for turning. He could not be talked out of it. He was only concerned for his happiness and his freedom outside the authority and the discipline and the love and the goodness of the Father's house. We then thought about the departure that mimicked him because he had already departed in his heart. He had already departed in his head. So it was easy for him to leave the home and walk out the door and close the door without looking behind him. When he had spent all his money and riotous living and his finances had run out, he was forced by his circumstances to feed pigs. Now the Bible teaches us that he was so hungry he would have ate what the pigs were eating. He didn't literally eat the pigs' food, but he desired to. This was the worst job for a Jew. It was degrading. This was the worst of situation. Now the Bible tells us that no man gave unto him. It then tells us in Luke 15 and 17, and when he had come to himself, he said, and I quote, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thine hired servants. Do you see, he began to think about home. He had begun to see his folly and his spiritual madness. He's, he's thinking, I have been a failure. I have been a fool. And we believe, of course, that he's taking the place, at least in his mind, of a, of a penitent fool. He's thinking of 
his father's house. And you know, young people, home is never sweeter when you're sick and sorrowful. Home is never sweeter when you're in turmoil or or when you're hurting. Home is the best place to be. He had left a wonderful home. He could not think of the home while he lived in it. You think of the rows that were there, the the sharp exchanges, the bitterness, the, the tension between his father and his elder brother. And now what's he doing? He's going back home. And I want you to think of a sad, lonely, broken figure making his way home. Young people never despise the benefits and the blessings of a godly home. This young man did, and it cost him dearly. And now here he is. He's making his way home. He's perhaps thinking as he journeys, how will I be saved? I have shamed my father. I have squandered his money. I've made a fool of myself. Will I be rejected? Will I be shown the door? Will it be booted out? Will it be laughed and mocked at even by the servants? They'll be thinking, how dare he come back? If I go back, what do I say? I need at least to tell my father that I've sinned against heaven and in his sight. I'll beg my father to make me as one of the the hired servants. So you think of this boy making his way back. Think of the father in that porch. He's out one day, he's again looking on the horizon. He sees a figure coming in the distance. It's the figure of a tramp. This boy's emancipated. He's thin, he's stooped over, he's poorly dressed, he has no shoes in his feet. He's shuffling towards the house. And while he's still a good way off, when the father sees that figure, he runs out and he rushes towards him. It says, wayward son returning home. The Bible tells us, if you look at chapter 15 and verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said unto his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring in his hand and shoes in his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now who is there amongst us tonight? Every time we hear the story of the prodigal, couldn't fail to be moved by the father's love for his wayward son. What a wonderful picture of love this is. It ought to move us. And it's but a faint picture of God's wonderful love for sinful men. You see, the story of the prodigal son is one of the best examples of God's amazing love in the whole of the New Testament. Now, I'm not going to spend time on the plan of the prodigal. Remember the son who rebelled? Think of his desires, his demands, his departure, his depravity. Think of his distress. Think of his discovery. Think of his decision. We're not even going to focus tonight time on the pardon of the Father. We could speak of the eyes of love that saw him yet a far way off. We we could think about the arms of love that embraced him. 
The hands of love that put a robe on his back and shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger. We could think about the lips of love that kissed him repeatedly because that's what it means when it says and fell on his neck and kissed him. He kissed him over and over and over again. And all of that, of course, speaks of the wonderful pardon that we have in Christ. A full and free pardon. An instantaneous pardon. But look with me very carefully at verse 20. I want you to underline three words in your mind. The Father ran. Oh, that these three words would burn into your soul today. His Father ran. Do you know that in the first century in the Roman world, it's true of the Greek and Roman culture, any dignitary of any standing would never run in public. Respectable people would look down on you if you ran in public. So if you were in a hurry, no matter how hurried the situation was, you walked. And here's the Lord Jesus telling the parable to the Pharisees. Remember, it's about lost things. Remember, it's about lost things that were loved. And he's telling them that when the father saw this lost boy, who was a rebellious, reckless sinner, that when the father saw him, that the father ran towards the broken Returning son. What a wonderful picture of God the Father running to receive penitent sinners. You see, the Father in the story run toward the broken returning son, the very one who had left home, the very one who had wasted his substance with riotous living, the very one who had broken the Father's heart. The very one who disgraced and dishonored his family name. The very one who disgraced his family. The very one who was the talk of the countryside. Yet this was one whom the father ran to meet. What a wonderful picture. Now let's ask ourselves for a few minutes tonight. Why did the father run? Why was the father in such a hurry? Why not just sit on the porch and wait for the son to reach the gate and come up the driveway and speak to the father? I want to give you three reasons tonight, very, very quickly. I want you to think of the fact of the reconciliation he displayed. You see, the father wanted to be reconciled to the son. The father loved the son. All the time he was away in the far country, every day, all day, he loved his son. The father's heart was broken. It was bruised. And yet every day and all day he was longing, oh, that my son was back. He hated every day and every hour that he was separated from his son. What did it say in verse 24? For this my son was dead. You see, to the father... The son leaving home, the son's separation from him was like a death to him. And the son's desires and the son's demands and departure and depravity and distress was all like a death in the heart of the father. And he had a longing for a return, a longing for a reunion, a genuine reconciliation to be reunited with his son. And the Bible tells us there, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran. He didn't drag his feet. 
despite the prodigal shame, despite his lifestyle, despite his sinful stupidity, despite the stench of the rags that were upon him, when he saw him, his heart was moved with compassion. And he ran. Do you know what that means, folks? He made a beeline for him. No distraction. Maybe the servant saying, um, we need a word, sir. There was no discussion with the elder brother. There was no dissolution in his mind. This boy doesn't deserve it. He ran directly. He ran compassionately. He ran lovingly. He, he, he ran righteously to him. And you see, that's the type of love that runs after sinners. That's the way God the Father feels tonight towards all who are in rebellion, to all who have gone astray from him. Remember what we read in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. And we read there in verses 6 and 7, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And over in John's Gospel, in John chapter 4, we read this in the verse 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for us. There's a story told about the Reverend Alexander McLaren, a great Scottish preacher. He was in England preaching. He preached a great sermon. And here was the title, Christ Hastening to the Cross. Christ rushing to the cross. Hebrews 12 and 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. See, you think tonight of the love of God. Do you know God didn't redeem us so that he could love us? Christ loved us before Christ redeemed us. Christ loved us and the reason he loved us was that Christ died on Calvary because we were in rebellion to God and we needed to be reconciled. God the Father loves sinners and that's why he sent the Savior to be the propitiation for our sins. Some people have the wrong idea, you see. They think, well, God changes us first, makes us new creatures, and then he loves us. No. God loves us from all eternity in Christ. And that's why he had a plan to change and transform and save us. Isn't there a big difference tonight? You know that true Bible-believing Christianity is the only religion in the world that teaches God's great love for sinners? What do other world religions teach? It's do this and that. It says to the people, turn over a new leaf. Keep the Ten Commandments. You've got to do better. Give some money. Perform this ritual. Join this religious society. And then when you've done that and done enough, you can earn and merit the Father's favor. And whether it's Roman Catholicism tonight, liberal Protestantism, whether it's the cults, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists or whatever, it's all presenting a system of works. It's all a, a works-based religion. But here's the Father. And he forgives this wayward son freely. The father acts compassionately. He is desirous 
to be reconciled to his wayward son. Despite his filthiness, his folly, his foulness, he longs to be reconciled. Isn't it a picture of great love? Could I tell you this? A Christian policeman one night arrested a boy. The boy was well dressed in a suit, shirt and tie. There was a traffic violation. But the boy wouldn't give his name. So the policeman arrested him, taken into the cell. And after a while, the policeman, who was a Christian, went into the cell and he said to the boy, Do you know the story of the prodigal son? The wee boy says, A day. He says, Well, it's in Luke 15 of the Bible. He says, do you know about the boy then that got away from his father? But the father still loved him. And the father's heart was breaking for the boy until the boy was back home again. And he said to the boy, son, do you have a father like that? And at that moment, the wee fella started to cry and he said, yes, sir, I have. And very soon the father was called and Brought to the police station. The father cradled the boy in the arms, even though he had committed a traffic offence, broken the law. See, it's a picture of great love. The father ran because he wanted to be reconciled to his son. The father ran because he, of the realization that he diagnosed. I asked you to think why did he run? Here's the answer. He realized his son was still in danger. Where was the boy? He was out in the road. He was quite a distance from home. So he wasn't safely home yet. He was still out there. And while out there, while not at home, there's a danger that he could turn back and go back to the far country. John Bunyan from Bedford, a great Baptist preacher, Whenever he gave his testimony, he confessed that he was so troubled by his sin and sense of his guilt and shame that he was very hesitant about coming to Christ. And here was the thought, I'm too sinful to come to Christ. The weight of his sin and the badness things that he'd done, thought and said, was keeping him back from coming to Christ. Maybe there's a reason that's stopping you from coming to Christ tonight. You think I'm too sinful? Maybe you think, well, I'm too young to come to Christ. Maybe you think, well, I'm too old tonight to come to Christ. You know, the Spirit of God was at work in John Bunyan. He eventually came to Christ. He was convinced. He was convicted. And then he found peace in believing through faith in Christ. But as soon as the Father realized that the son was showing evidence of coming, that the son had taken the first step from the far country. The father wanted to make sure that that boy got home. You see, it would be a tragedy if he'd come so far and then turn back. Wouldn't it have been a disaster if he had so doubted, if he had so feared that he would not be welcome, that he returned to the far country? In chapter 15, verse 5, we read of a citizen in the far country. Aren't there tonight people at home in the far country? In the land of sin? In the land of judgment and death? Living without God? Living under the curse and condemnation of God? And this young boy could have gone back and, and settled down among them. So the father ran to meet him because he realized he was in danger. Do you know that in Scotland, 
World War I, there was an armaments factory that exploded one day. The explosion was heard seven miles away. And a Scottish lady, her, her son worked there. She heard the explosion. She was a middle-aged lady and she came out of her house and she ran seven miles. Seven miles, that's from here to the bottom of the Killingure Road to the school, almost. And she ran non-stop because her son worked there and she thought he might be in danger and he might be near death and he might be hurt and he would need help. And you know, we're in spiritual danger if we're out of Christ. And yet all the while, Christ rushes to meet us when he sees us interested in coming to him. Isn't that a picture of the same type of love that God has for us? The father saw him. His heart of compassion was out to him. He ran compassionately. He ran quickly. My son's in danger. He's not home yet. There's danger and delay. Aren't there many tonight almost persuaded? And yet could easily turn back to the far country. And maybe that's what you are. You're almost persuaded to come to Christ. But every night you walk out of that door. And, and, and in your persuasion of coming... You don't actually come. And you're thinking, it's a convenient time I'm looking for. This father ran not only compassionately and quickly, but he ran righteously. Because he didn't cover up his son's mess. He didn't gloss it over. He allowed the fellow to make a full confession. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. I've heard preachers sing that the father stopped him the minute he mentioned Father. But it doesn't say that in our Bible. He was saying to the Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. See, there was no pretense, there was no cover-up, there was no hypocrisy. It was a full and frank confession. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you openly and honestly. This young fellow was undeserving. This young fellow didn't deserve to be treated in this way. And yet the Father realized the danger that was in, ran to him to meet him. Very quickly, and with this we finish, the rejoicing that was declared. You see, the rejoicing couldn't start until the boy was home. There was no feasting, no laughing, no gladness, no merriment, until the son was back home. The father saw him, had compassion on him. He fell on his neck. He kissed him repeatedly, as I've said, and then he brought him back home. Remember, he left home to find satisfaction and happiness outside of the home. He wanted joy and contentment outside of the home. But where did he end up finding it? He found it at home, in the very place that he left. Verse 24 tells us they began to be in Mary. Could I tell you tonight, the Lord is waiting to receive you if you come as a penitent sinner. Some have never come to Christ. You tonight are not one of his sons or one of his daughters. You've never asked to be received or redeemed or reconciled. But tonight, by the miracle and mystery of the gospel, you who are in the family of the devil can be brought into the family of the Savior. He gives an open invitation to all who will come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. Him that cometh to me, I will in no ways cast out. Here's the Father wanting to receive you. Here's the Father running to take you in his arms. The Father wanting to grant you real, true joy, inner satisfaction and gladness. And you know the Lord not only gave joy to this boy by bringing him home, 
but he gave joy to many others. There was joy in heaven. There was joy in that family. There was joy in the family's heart. Can I tell you this story as we finish? You've heard of D.L. Moody. He was a shoe salesman. He got converted. And one night he was listening to a man called Henry Burley. And Henry Burley said this in a meeting, the world is yet to see what the Lord can do with a young man fully surrendered to him. Moody said, I'll be that man. By the grace of God, he began to shake two continents, the United Kingdom and the United States of America. He had a dear friend called Ira Sankry who uh, came and sung at his meetings. And uh, you may be familiar with Sankey's book, Secret Songs and Solos. But in that book, there's this song, Where is my wandering boy tonight? And it was sung almost at every meeting all over the United States and all over uh, the the, uh, land of England and Scotland. During Moody's missions in America, uh, an opera singer had got saved and she gave up singing for the world and she was now singing for the Lord Jesus. This lady had one son. The son had left home in his teens. He'd, He'd get into trouble. Get into drink and crime and all the rest. This lady sang all over America and at every campaign she sang that hymn, Where's My Wandering Boy Tonight? She had never heard of him from me as a teenager. He'd never spoke to his mommy. And all the while she's praying, Lord, where's my wandering boy? One night she was singing. There's thousands in the auditorium. But he hadn't preached. People were waiting patiently for the preacher to get up. And she sang, where's my wandering boy tonight? Out of a seat came an old tramp. Tears running down his face. Tattered hair. Face scarred by sin. And he walked up the aisle. And as his mother sang... Where's my wandering boy tonight? He said, Mommy, I'm coming. I'm coming tonight. And he came to Christ. But he led him to the Lord before the meeting had ever started. Before he'd preached the word of God. How do you come? You come to Christ. You come to the cross. Because Christ paid the debt. The hymn writer said, The way of the cross leads home. A wee girl in Glasgow was lost and a policeman found her and he said, where do you live, love? And she says, take me to the cross and I know how to get home from there. Will you come to the cross tonight? Will you need at the cross? Will you say, Lord, I'm coming. I'm a sinner. I want to be saved. I want to know the Father's kisses of love upon me. I want to know the kiss of acceptance, the kiss of love and grace and mercy. Oh, I would love to open that up and kiss them, but we'll leave it for another time. You, you think tonight of the reasons that he ran. I've already tried to give them to you. The reconciliation that he displayed. He wanted his son to be reconciled. You, you think tonight of the realization that he diagnosed in his mind. The son was in danger. And you think tonight of the rejoicing that was declared. The rejoicing couldn't start until the boy was home. And what rejoicing there would be tonight in this house over one sinner that would come to Christ. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.
Volme